This week on the MS Dev Show, we have web developer extraordinaire Brandon Martinez. Yes, the same Brandon Martinez who created our theme song. This is episode number two. So today we have Brandon Martinez on, um, special guest. He is a uh, software engineer that specializes in uh, web development, and he is a guru when it comes to any kind of web development. He dives into all sorts of web frameworks, um, pretty much you name it, uh, he's worked with it. So he's a, a, a great guy to have on today's podcast. And uh, we're going to get to him later in the show. We have him on here to talk about JavaScript promises specifically. But uh, I just wanted to say hi, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. And uh, so, Brandon, if you uh, if you want to talk about any of the, the topics as we go along here, you know, feel free to jump in. Otherwise, Carl and I are going to go through. And there's a couple things that we uh, that we are going to discuss ahead of time, and then we'll get over to promises. Sounds um, good. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, first thing was, you know, last week our show was all about uh, build, and we did we didn't really give any kind of intro to the podcast whatsoever. We just jumped in and talked about build uh, content. So this week we wanted to talk about kind of why we were starting the podcast, um, give you guys a little bit of background. We want to talk some of the software, some of the setup that we had to go through, and um, you know some of the motivations and the, the hardware and those types of things. So um, let's just jump into the hardware. Um, so I started uh, looking around this week for some better podcasting hardware because, uh, you know, Carl and I, we, you know, I think we sounded okay, but uh, we're using, you know, I'm using a wireless mic. What are you using over there on your side, Carl? I have a wireless Plantronics microphone. It's a wireless Plantronics. I have a wireless uh, Jabra headset. It works pretty good, um, but I wanted to uh, step up our game a little bit. Um, there's definitely some professional podcasts out there that sound uh, quite a bit uh, quite a bit better. Um, so I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk about that. Before we get to that, let's talk about um, you know a little bit of our background. So uh, first, you know, my name obviously is Jason Young. Um, we plugged our show or we plugged our websites at the uh, you know Carl and I plugged our websites at the end of the, the last episode. Um, so I'm at ytechie.com. I've been in the industry I don't know ten. 15 year plus years. Um, you can find a lot of the information on my about page on, on my blog. But uh, always been a software engineer at heart. I've gone through, um, done a lot of different things, consulting. These days I'm working at Microsoft as a, as a technical evangelist, but uh, I pretty much enjoy any kind of software development. So, um, you know, I've worked with Carl for, for a few years. You want to give a little bit of your background, Carl, and then we'll get into the motivation for the show? Sure, yeah. Um, I've been a software engineer for a little bit over three years, and uh, I, I professionally came to software engineering a little bit later in life, uh, but I think that gave me some really great perspective on it, too. Um, mm-hmm. I've still always been in software, but I've really stayed a lot in the Microsoft stack, um, done pretty much everything in it, a lot, a lot of web, um, client-side stuff, uh, back-end coding, front-end coding, a little bit of everything, R&D, finishing work, you know, coming up with a concept, bringing it all the way through. So I, I've seen a lot of everything, or at least a little bit of everything. And um, uh, not too long ago, I made a transition and switched to consulting work. And uh, that's exposing me to an even greater variety of things than uh, what I had in the past. So, um, yeah. Yeah, still, once again, kind of sticking to the Microsoft stack, but not afraid to look at other things as well. Right, um, right. Yeah, um, I uh, after Windows Phone came out, I got really interested in phone development. 
uh, really sticking to mobile uh, on that platform. But now with, you know, just the prevalence of as a developer, if you want to make money, if you want to be successful, you kind of got to be on all the platforms. So I'm starting to look into Xamarin and Android and iOS development as well. So, you know, breaking out of the molds that I previously had for myself as well. Yeah, and I think I think you're really good at that. I mean, one one thing in in the years that I've worked with you, Carl, it, it, what's amazing is uh, uh, not just on the software side, but it seems like uh, you can pretty much pick up uh, anything that you wanted to in life. So that's uh, that's that's pretty cool. That's that's a unique quality to have. There's a lot of a lot of software developers that that's you know that's all they know, and, and they don't really know how to you know mow their own lawn or or you know do anything in the real world, change their own oil, those types of things. So. So that's great because you bring kind of the uh, the engineering and the and the real world experience to it as well. Um, so yeah, so Carl and I, I don't know, it was probably it's probably almost been a year now to be honest with you. We we kept talking about hey, we should start our own podcast. Uh, we love to talk about this stuff and uh, and and just kind of like blogging, just another it's it's just another creative outlet. So uh, fortunately, Carl kept uh, bugging me about it and bugging me about it and. And because uh, I I told him that to kept uh, keep reminding me about it, and finally we uh, we said you know what let's just record an episode, you know nothing nothing is stopping in our way so so that's what we did and that's that's really how we got started here. So uh, that's how we got where we're at, and we just want to keep talking about uh, you know software development topics. So anything related to um, just building awesome software, whether it's enterprise software, consumer uh, software. Um, you know, pretty much anything in the industry. Anything you want to add to that, Carl? No, and, and like you said, you know, I mean, we're, we labeled ourselves the MS Dev Show, but really anything runs on Azure nowadays. So that leaves very little off the table. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, kind of our core topics are obviously Windows Phone, uh, Windows itself, cross-platform development using things like Visual Studio, um, anything that sort of intersects with, with something Microsoft-related, is is really um, you know of interest to us or anything that touches anything that's even remotely related, so that's even things like Xamarin and those cross-platform tools, um, you know, just anything related, even you know one step removed from something Microsoft is is really of interest to us or anything that's just uh, you know shiny and new uh, is is not off limits. Anything else you wanted to add there, Carl, or you want to jump into the hardware? Yeah, let's jump in. Okay, so. I started, uh, you know, after the last show, I listened to it. The the audio quality, as as I mentioned, was, uh, you know, it wasn't perfect. Um, it was all right. We're just using these uh, these these standard headsets that are pretty good for for regular calls. But we wanted to step it up a notch, so I started doing a little bit of research. I looked at what the guys over at uh, um, the the Windows or the um, Microsoft, or sorry, the Windows Developer Show. I looked at what they they were using. I looked at what Scott Hansen was using, uh, what Leo Laporte is using on Twit. And it seems like the the general consensus is that the the Heil PR40 microphone is like the microphone to have. Um, so I started doing listening to some uh, some comparisons, and I sent you a link in particular, and I'll, I can put it in the show notes. But there was a there was an audio comparison where he started with a condenser mic, which is which is sort of the um, you know the mid range microphone, and then he switched over to the to the Heil microphone, and it was it was just unbelievable. He also he actually took a pen and he dropped it onto carpet with the condenser mic, and he could pick that up. And the uh, the Heil PR40, which is a dynamic microphone, uh, really cut down the background noise. And I have uh, I have kids 
that are sometimes yelling in the background. I got a dog that barks at pretty much anything. Um, so uh, I, what I did, I, I put down the money and I actually ordered the exact part list that the um, the, the Windows uh, developer show, the exact hardware list that they published. And I'll, like I said, I'll put a I'll put a link to the show notes and their to their complete hardware list. Um, but it consists of you know microphone, uh, compressor, you know a whole bunch of other good stuff that I I really don't need to get into. But what I'm hoping is our next episode is going to sound amazing. At least I'll sound amazing. And if uh, <laughs> if if we can get that up and working and, and sounding well, then then we're going to figure out what to what to order for your side, Carl. Um, if that setup works perfect, then we might just end up ordering the exact same setup for your side, so we'll both sound really good then. Excellent. Yep. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, it, getting into uh, you know any kind of new um, you know area like this where I can go and do a whole bunch of research and reading and then buy something new, I'm excited about. So I have a whole bunch of boxes coming from uh, Amazon this Saturday. So uh, I'm really excited. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, so that's that covers hardware. That's that's the hardware we're going to be using for for the podcast. But what I really want to dive into, since this is a software related podcast, is the uh, software that we used to set up the site, to configure, you know, some of the um, um, some of the other aspects of the podcast. And I I know this whole thing is is a little bit meta. You know, we're on a podcast talking about a podcast. But uh, I think the software side of it is is really interesting, so I want to talk about that. So the the first thing there is is our actual website. So it's uh, msdevshow.com, and from right there you can actually listen to the podcasts. You can you can run them right there. You can see um, you know you'll that's where you'll always be able to get any kind of previous shows. That also has a link at the top for the RSS feed, so that you can um, you know subscribe. Um, right there with, with, if you want to use, um, you know, any kind of, um, non-standard, uh, podcast listener, you can just grab the, the feed off of there. But what I want to talk about was how that website was built. So what's interesting is it, it's actually a, a static website and we're kind of going back to the old days, you know, in the, in the beginning of the web, a lot of sites were just, uh, uh, statically generated or, or actually they were statically built and people would actually maintain them. And then, and then this new world came out where we could dynamically generate websites and actually have uh, logic on the on the web server to generate sites for us. So now, you know, the 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 uprising of static sites is interesting because it seems like we're taking a step back. But when you really think about it, whenever you build, let's just take uh, well, we'll take the example of a blog. Let's say you're building a blog, and uh, you know you have you have posts on there, you'll have other information. And then you'll have comments. But if you really break that down, the only thing that changes on the blog is really the con- is really the um, the comments. The actual blog posts, you know, if you blog, let's say, once a week or even once a day, the blog really only changes once a day. So what people would end up doing is if it was a if it was a, a dynamically generated site on the server, the way to get really good performance, or if you're using something like WordPress, is you'd actually use uh, caching. So you'd say, listen, don't regenerate this site. Uh, for an hour or a day or whatever. And I, I find that kind of interesting because they're essentially trying to mimic the uh, static site with the advantage of having a dynamic site. So if we, if we just kind of take that a step further, it, a, a nice way to build a site now with some of the tools that are out there is to actually generate the entire site 
server side and then just host that. And the result is your site is amazingly fast, doesn't require any caching, doesn't require any kind of database. You get rid of all of the, uh, you know, the, the ugliness of, of hosting a standard blog. Your output is just pure HTML. And then for things like comments, you can use, um, you know, comment service like discuss. Um, so the, the platform that we're using for the MS Dev Show is uh, software called DocPad, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. But DocPad is, is just one of many. There's a whole bunch of static site generators out there. But what I like about DocPad is it's, it's based on Node.js, and it makes it really easy to, um, to, get, to get going and throw a whole bunch of uh, pages in there. And you can use things like Markdown um, or, or pretty much any kind of markup language and have that... Uh, you know, generate a site whenever you, you make a change. So the MS Dev Show is actually also in GitHub, and whenever we make a change in there, uh, that triggers a build and a deployment within Azure. So if um, if I want to make a change to the website, all I have to do, I go up to GitHub, I, I clone the repo, I make my changes, and when I push them in, um, within about 30 seconds, I get a, you know, we get a new version of the website out there. So it makes, it actually makes for a really nice way of updating the site. And then if you go out there, you know, there, there's, the amount of traffic it would take to actually bring that down would, would be pretty absurd to be honest with you. So our, you know, we have really low hosting costs. You know, we're basically paying nine bucks a month for, for shared Azure hosting. And, uh, the site loads pretty much instantaneously. Um, do you have any questions about DocPad, Carl? I know you started looking at it recently. Yeah, I really don't have a whole lot of experience with it, so mm-hmm. you know, looking at our site is really the first time I've seen something complete uh, mm-hmm. using its solution. Right, right. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really easy to get started. So, so honestly, the best way to get started with something like this is to is to just clone somebody's repo who has already done this, right? So if if you're interested in getting started with DocPad, honestly, you can just go out. You can, um, you know, fork that repository, grab a copy of it, and start playing with it right away, because um, it has everything set up, and then you can start diving into the documentation. It's always good to start with something that works out of the box, and then take it from there. Um, are you familiar with that, Brandon? Have you ever played around with a, a static site generator like that? Uh, I've never actually worked with DocPad, but I've looked okay. at, uh, I believe it's called um, Octopress. Okay, yep, that one's pretty popular. And then uh Jekyll, I believe, is the other one. I've messed yeah. around with those a bit. But I'm a I'm sorry, I'm a WordPress guy. <laughs> that's all right, that's all right. I'm I'm just uh, since I converted my blog over to DocPad a few months ago, I've just really, really been enjoying it. And uh you can tell whenever you go to a DocPad site because they're pretty much instantaneous. Um so um, moving on, you know, se- setting up the site, we got that all set up. Like I said, there's a feed there. I had to go through and actually set up the the feed with the various uh, um, providers, uh, podcast providers. So if you go into iTunes and you search for MS Dev Show, our show will 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 show up. So what I had to do, unfortunately, I had to download and install iTunes. But right from there, there's a way to uh, submit a link to iTunes. Um, for Windows Phone, for version 8, what I did was I actually emailed podcast at Microsoft.com. It's kind of a manual process, but I sent in the information, and that got added actually within just a, a few hours. Our podcast showed up in there. But one thing that I, I wanted to point out, and, and I asked Carl before the show if he if he knew the difference uh, with 8.1 and why our show isn't showing up yet. Um, you know, He wasn't aware of this, and, and this is probably new to a lot of people since 8.1 is so new. So 8.1 actually uses, um, it's actually a search function, and it's, it's using Bing behind the scenes. So somehow, you know, we, we actually have to 
um, you know, gain some popularity, get some backlinks into that feed and the page itself. And I'm, I think it's looking at the, the metadata on the feed as well as some other attributes to figure out what, what shows up in the index and how it gets ranked. Um, so that's actually good because if you think about how, you know, iTunes works or how the 8O store works, you know, you pretty much have to match the, the search terms of, of what gets submitted. But in this case, it's, it's more of a search engine feature. So, um, it, you know, it'll show up for more search terms once we do get it into there. So how's that sound, Carl? You like the way that works? Yeah, it's definitely a different approach. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the good news is I, I think it is, I think it's a better approach. The bad news is our, our podcast isn't quite showing up yet. Um, I'm hoping within the next week it's going to show up because I think it'll just naturally get indexed because we're already showing up in Bing. So I think it's, it's going to end up getting, uh, indexed pretty quickly here. Um, so on to news. I know, uh, I was looking back through the news of the week and it looks like pretty much all of the news this week, uh, all the Microsoft related news was all about Windows 8.1 cause that got, uh, the update came out on Monday. I saw it about 10 minutes before it came out and I was traveling. So I was trying to, you know, furiously download it on airport Wi-Fi unsuccessfully. So I, I had to wait in excruciating, uh, six or seven hours before I was actually able to download it and play around with it. So did you want to uh, did you want to talk about some of the news around eight one Carl? Uh, sure, yeah. Keeping a little bit more dev focused, um, I found this article. We'll put a link. It's on uh, blogs.msdn.com, and it basically talks about uh, what new Windows Phone eight point one features are new for developers. So mm-hmm. obviously, there's some things that change um, and things that got added. So um, one of the things that was uh, switched is before you had three kinds of apps. You either had like a blank app, a mm-hmm. pivot app, or a panorama app. Well, the panorama control is no longer there. It's now replaced with the hub to bring it in line with Windows 8.1. Right. Uh, so that's going to be a big change, but it's not really that huge. They're really very similar the, the way that they operated anyways. And uh, anybody who has experience making a Windows Store app um, will be right at home. So it's pretty easy to switch over? Yep, and it's it's really um, uh, a couple lines of XAML or HTML. Um, obviously, you're not going to switch over to HTML, but the HTML is pretty similar to what the XAML was anyway, so that's pretty okay. obvious. Uh, one thing that might throw uh, people for a little bit of a loop is there's no more uh, web browser control. It's now web view, um, but pretty much it's going to operate the same way that the, it was before. Mm-hmm. So... Those are things that are different. There's a few more. You can check out the um, the page for details. But um, some of the interesting new controls is now there's an auto-suggest box. Um, okay. I can see that uh, be pretty exciting, uh, thinking of ways to use that uh, myself, where you can actually pre-populate the types of suggestions that would be in there as well, so you even have that much control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition... Uh, the Windows Store has a lot of different flyouts. That concept of a flyout, well, that now comes to the phone. So you uh, you now have a generic flyout. There's a date picker flyout, a time picker flyout, just a picker flyout, which you can extend. So um, those are new things that will be interesting to see apps incorporate as okay. well. The, the web view control that you mentioned, is that shared now with uh, with Windows 8.1? Um, it, is the, it, it is the it is same, the same? API. Okay. Um, on, on some of these elements, they will be slightly different in their implementation, but overall they should be very similar. Okay. 
because that was one thing that we talked about last week was really that convergence around the the universal app and uh you know over 90% of the APIs being the same um and then your the controls that you're some of the new controls you're talking about are those are those coming over from 81 or are those new controls just for Windows Phone uh, um some of them are new just for Windows Phone um, okay for example, uh, now there's the new progress ring. So mm-hmm. instead of just getting the, the dots that go across, it'll be a, a, a ring. And okay. uh, from what I can tell, that looks like it is uh, uh, for phone only. But okay. once again, actually, no, that is uh, for both. I just uh, clicked on the documentation for it. So that's for both as well. So, yeah, once again, it is bringing that in line. Um, uh for the rest of these, um, you can go into the link that'll be in the show notes, but just wanted to bring that out there. There's a, a lot of good documentation. If you're coming from, uh, Windows 8.0 or, or earlier, uh, development experience, this is, uh, a good spot to see what you have to do to tweak your existing code or if you want ideas for some of the new controls. It's a nice consolidated listing of what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh there's definitely no better time than now to get started on developing these. The fact that you that you can reuse that code across platforms is that's so exciting. Um so did you want to talk about uh you were talking about the apps within uh Windows Phone 8.1. Yeah. Did you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, so after the it first came out, there's a lot of really excited news uh just about how much how great this platform is. But after that it first day or two of excitement died down, um, people got really nitpicky over a couple of apps, especially the music app. I heard about that. Yeah, and a, really <laughs> peop- a, a lot of people are really up, you know, enraged about you know, that it's a step backwards. Mm-hmm. But then um, this week already it got updated, and there's been a little bit more talk that um, all of the independent apps now, uh, they're, they're all in a – they're not called that, but they're in a pre-release state, you know, the platform right. is the pre- platform is not pushed to the public yet. It's not at the general availability. So right. all all of these apps are going to be getting updates, and they specifically called out the music app and said that they're looking to uh, push updates publicly every two weeks for the mm-hmm. foreseeable future. So if you're on here and you see a couple of things that that are you might have a problem with, um, there's actually a user voice forum that they uh, are pretty respondent about. So they said, hey, put out your uh, issues on user voice. We'll look at them, prioritize them, and get things fixed. So Exactly. It, that, it, that's good that they're that they're split apart because you really want to decouple applications and OS whenever you can. I mean, if you can, you know, if there is any kind of integration between an app and the operating system, you you want that to be through an official channel, you know, through an API or something like that. But if you can decouple the release cycle of those two, that's huge because, like you said, they can start releasing that every two weeks and, uh, you know, change as time goes on. Yeah. And with when Windows Phone 7 first came out, one of the um, real big features of it was how, you know, tightly integrated all of, like, the Facebook and Twitter features were. But after mm-hmm. time, it really became one of the drawbacks because – like you said, it couldn't be updated because the o- you needed the OS to be updated at the same time. That just right. wasn't going to happen. So um, if you're lucky enough to have the developer preview and you're checking these out, uh, give give your feedback. Or if 
or wait it out. If you're not happy with them, the, the updates are coming. Yeah. Or just don't use the music app like me. <laughs> I um, do like the new podcast app, though. Yeah, I do, too. But I, I there are a few things, because that is my sole source of, you know, audio entertainment, that mm-hmm. uh, a few things that I would like different on there. Yeah. But like I said, those are all going to be updated on a more frequent basis than what we're used to. So that's really exciting. That's good to hear. Anything else on the news front? Um, without digging too far just into phone news, I think that'll cover it for this week. Okay, that sounds good. So let's get to Brandon finally. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we got Brandon Martinez here, and uh, he's definitely doing some some interesting work. Uh, he really likes to push the boundaries. I know that uh, I saw a presentation from him and Carl actually on uh, uh, was it SAS I think at the uh, uh, user group meeting was that right, Brandon? Uh, yeah, it was last year at the uh, Fox Valley Data.net. Right, right. So that was that was a great uh, presentation. And then I know recently in Michigan, and unfortunately this was uh, you know across the lake for me, so I wasn't able to get to this one. Uh, you spoke about JavaScript promises. So we thought it'd be great to have you on today and and talk about uh, talk about promises because I I have started using them a little bit. I'm definitely not a promise expert, and uh, so we just wanted to talk to you and and uh, and you know learn all about promises. So, um, any, anything else you want to say about yourself, Brandon? No, I think that uh, that covers the basics. We can jump right in. Okay, so let's just talk about promises. Um, and, and, and get as, you know, get as down in the weeds as what you want here, as detailed as you want. Uh, like I said, this is a developer focused show, so, um, feel free to, to get as detailed as you want. Um, so first, can you just give us a background as to, you know, what promises in JavaScript are, or, or actually, are these a JavaScript only thing? Um, just kind of give us a little bit of background on promises. Well, the overall, um, they are JavaScript centric. Uh, the, the overall pattern that you use with them, you can find in other languages. Um, for example, if you want to compare it to something in C-sharp, uh, you could say it's almost like a, a fluent-style syntax over async await. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the, on the JavaScript side, promises have been around in some form for really the last few years. Um, in fact, jQuery has something promise-like in it called deferreds, um, which sadly don't fit the, the uh, proposed standards for promises, but the idea was there. Okay. Um, so to kind of get into what a, a promise even is, because uh, it's it's a term that's been passed around a lot lately, and it's getting talked about a lot more, especially with uh, you know speaking of Windows Phone, you have things like WinJS, which have a uh, promise, uh, what we call promise A plus style standard to them. Um, so with all this new mobile development. Uh, and especially with you know web services and APIs really taking off, the term is tossed around a lot. But a lot of times you just kind of say, "Oh, okay, promises," and then you just kind of go on your way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so to get into what they actually are, promises are um, a way for you to control async behavior and workflow in JavaScript. Mm-hmm. If you look into what JavaScript really is as a language. Um, a lot of people actually get very surprised to find out that it's single-threaded. There can only be one single operation happening at any given time. That's normally a very um, easy thing to fool someone with because you use web applications like, oh, I'm you know, sending five requests. Isn't it doing those at the same time? 
And that's where the whole async thing comes in. So with promises, um, they're also called venables um, in the uh, promise <laughs> jargon. Uh, and that's because it's really a this, then this style development. You, you set up uh, what would be called a chain of actions, and um, those actions are generally asynchronous. So one, you don't know when are they going to finish, and two, you don't even know if they'll finish. Say an exception gets thrown, um, the server's unavailable, the server uh, gives you a 500 back. You don't know if it's going to return something that you would normally expect. So promises wrap that and either let you keep going on your way after that async operation is done, or they give you a good way to capture that exception and then um, change your workflow path. Okay. That's pretty cool. So, you know, I, I've uh, I've looked at a couple different promise frameworks. Like you mentioned, it's in WinJS. Um, there's one called Q, um, which you've recommended to me. Um Q, I, I remember talking to you one time, and it sounds like Q is the one that that is is going to. Uh, it sounds like that's the one to use because that's what the spec is being modeled after, or maybe vice versa. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there's there's a handful of uh, libraries out there to get started with promises, um, but at least from my research and from my own personal experience, Q seems like the go-to. If uh, you want to be as close to standard compliant as possible, and if you want the best compatibility, again, in my experience. And that really comes from that uh, Q uh, is very, very close to the standard, if not matching. Mm-hmm. Um, it does add some extra functionality uh, that you would lose if you went strictly to a standard-based uh, like browser support um, when browsers finally support ECMAScript 6. Um and the other huge benefit is uh, two things. Um, you have really good Node support. So those of you using Node.js, which I will say I have not used it very heavily. I have done some very small projects. Um, but Q is uh, integrated with Node very well. Um, and then if you want to use Angular, Angular actually, um, they have the dollar sign Q, um, I, I believe you call them scopes, um, that you can access and use and give you promise, um, the promise functionality within Angular. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is technically their own implementation. They based it off of Q, and they just stripped <laughs> back some of the functionality, so that way it's pretty much more just standard compliant promises. Save so they, you a few bytes. So they just kind of took the, the API of Q, but as it took to the standard and implemented that then? From my understanding, they, they pretty much did that. They, they used the source as a guide, uh, and they stripped out um, a lot of the... There's a lot of functionality in Q geared towards Node and how Node handles callbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got rid of all that because you're not going to need that in a, a front-end framework. Um, and yeah, stripped away just anything that really didn't fit Angular's purpose. So is Q included by default in Node.js? Or uh, is it something you have to add in? It's it's just another another library that you can pull in and reference, just okay. like all the other ones. Okay. Um, so when are the times when when you when you really want to be using this? So you know, if if somebody is writing a lot of JavaScript and and uh, you know, how do they know when they should start using promises? 
Well, a really good indicator is, and uh, I, I actually had an application that I'll touch on in a little bit that promises solved. Um, if you're doing a lot of AJAX, especially these asynchronous operations where you can't proceed forward until you know that operation is finished, um, it's really difficult to do that using the standard callback style JavaScript patterns. Um, a lot of times you actually have to introduce just these ugly spaghetti code, um, like callback watching patterns where, you know, either you set a flag, um, and you have to keep checking is the flag, you know, unset or set. Um, or sometimes you have to rely on recursion and have your Ajax call call the next Ajax call in order to keep that chain going or to exit whenever appropriate. So using promises, you can get rid of that mess and just, like I said, do the this, then this, and then still have the ability to fall back out if you throw an exception. Okay. So when uh, are there any situations when it looks like promises are a good idea, but they're actually a bad idea? Um, they they really are like the new shiny thing. And kind of like what you were saying with hardware, it's, it's new, it's cool, you want to dig into it and just use them everywhere. Um, if you are doing something that is truly synchronous, where you don't need to leave the scope of your application, you know, you're not making a call anywhere, you're not waiting, in the case of like Node, waiting for like a file operation to finish, you're pretty much making a mess then. It's something that you could easily just do in a, a more procedural way, you know, call this function and then call the next function, just the line after. You don't need to create that chain for a synchronous operation. Okay. Otherwise, though, with, like I said, APIs, um, and then you have Node that, you know, allows file system access and, you know, database access or what have you, we're doing more asynchronous stuff with our web applications. So it's starting to become the de facto way to do async. Mm-hmm. And as I said, with ECMAScript 6 coming up with... Um, I believe Chrome, the nightly support it, at least a good chunk of it. And Opera, which, as we know, Opera is taking on Chrome's um, rendering engine. Uh, they'll support it as well. Yeah, so my, uh, you know, my, my take on it, you know, JavaScript... The, the, the beautiful part about JavaScript, or one of the one of the best parts about JavaScript, is something you talked about earlier. Is that single-threaded nature? It helps you keep out of problems where you where you would normally have issues with multi-threading. But uh, but you're right. You you end up in this in this callback hell where you have a, a callback and a callback and a callback. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, libraries a little bit more. So we mentioned Q. So so was Q actually modeled off of the proposed standard? You know, honestly, I don't think I can give you a definitive answer on that. Okay. Mainly because Q has been in development for quite a while, just as the promise spec has, or standard rather, has been in development. So it's really hard to say without going through a bunch of revision histories to know which one came first. Okay. Yeah, it might might not be clear either. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you're you're saying, they, they could have been, you know, there's probably changes happening to both and they're, Maybe staying in, in sync in some ways and out of sync in others. Right. Uh, it is pretty well known, though, that the Q and the standard are very close to each other. Okay. So normally, if you see it going one way or the other, 
which for the most part, the promise uh, A plus standard is pretty much solidified um, that they'll be in sync with each other. So um, to touch on that with the libraries, um, so just to throw a couple more out there, there is WenJS, um, RSVP JS, which okay. is extremely close to the spec. Um, it almost has no additional functionality, except for if I recall, they have some um, magic that they throw over arrays and hashes uh, just to kind of be a, a helper. Okay. Um, and then, like I said, jQuery has deferreds, but that's kind of a mess. <laughs> um, okay. But the real benefit here is that the JavaScript promise standard, the A-plus standard, is extremely forgiving in what you use for your promise framework. Mm-hmm. So if you say, okay, I've been using Q for the last six months, but I think we're at a point now where our user base will let us use built-in promises. You can literally just plop your Q code into the standard promise, um, the JavaScript promise standard, um, and do almost nothing extra unless you're using those side features, like I said, that wouldn't be supported. Okay. So as long as your function or object has that then method on it and a couple others, it will just work. So, so, so what is your what is your recommendation then for getting started? Um, you know, should you should you take a look at the ECMAScript or should they just start with Q or a different library? How, how do they get started? Um, my number one recommendation right now, there is an awesome article out on uh, HTML5 Rocks, and uh, I'll give you the link for the show notes on that. Um, they kind of go over just the basis of what promises are. They touch that there are a few extra libraries out there. Um, and they actually recommend, uh, using RSVP's, uh, extremely slim down version. So not only is RSVP close to the spec, there is, uh, what is out on GitHub ES6 promise, um, which is more or less a polyfill to give you that standard JavaScript promise support in older browsers. So that's what HTML5 rocks recommends. Um, it's, in my opinion, a case-by-case basis. So if you are doing like a lot of node work or, you know, maybe you're sharing code between a web front end and a node back end, um, Q still seems like a really good option to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, as long as you're using something that they say, hey, we support promises A+, not a bad choice. It's okay. forward compatible. Um, and then when you finally decide to make the switch to the built-in standard, uh, it's not going to be a huge headache to migrate to that. Yeah, we've been kind of glossing over, but do you want to talk about this this built-in standard? Um, so obviously, it's you know, like we mentioned, it's close to these libraries. But um, you know, what what's keeping somebody from using that today, or can, how is that shaping up, and what's driving that? Well, really, the main thing keeping you from it, um, and why the polyfill is a good option, is that it's just not turned on in a lot of browsers that support it. So last I checked, uh, which was about a month or two ago, uh, Chrome has it in it, but you have to uh, flip on one of their about flags uh, special options when you run Chrome. So obviously your user base is going to be very, very small on that code working. Mm-hmm. Um, so really right now, you don't have good options for just running the native promise uh, standard. But as I said, if you went with the polyfill, um, which would probably give you the absolute easiest migration, 
or if you went with something like Q or when, um, it's, it's a better way today to get started with it. Okay. Um, any pre- best practices around it you recommend? I know you talked about, uh, HTML rocks, some of the, some of the guidance they gave. Any other best practices around taking advantage of this? The best advice I can give when you, when you want to start looking at promises and how to use them in your application, I would say take a step back and determine what your overall application workflow is. I wouldn't say just start building promise chains and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, just uh, you know, kick open Visio or your, your favorite workflow um, layout application and just kind of decide what those steps are. Build that flow chart to say, this is where my data is going to be moving through my application. I think if you take that step back, one, it'll it'll give you really a clear picture of where you're going to go with your application. And two, if you build that flow chart nice enough, it's probably what your code will end up looking like. It, it gives you the opportunity to have these semantic functions that, um, you know, if, if step one is start and step two is grab data, you can name them that. And then when you see your code, it's going to look almost identical to your flow chart. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, uh, one question I had, you were mentioning other projects that you've, uh, you know, you've used promises on. So do you want to talk about some of the experiences that you've gone through? Yeah, um, so the, the first large project that, uh, I got into where I'm like, all right, I need to do something differently here. Uh, I got stuck in that callback hell. I was, um, and actually Carl worked on this with me. Um, I was trying to uh, basically read in from an Excel spreadsheet a bunch of commands that needed to be sent to a server. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but the problem was that the next command could not run until the previous command finished. So as I mentioned earlier, you get into this weird spaghetti code trying to manage all these flags um, or, you know, I started to look at the recursion option, and it's just like, there has to be a better way. And I had done a little bit of research into promises before, and I'm like, well, you know, they say this is supposed to be the callback hell fire extinguisher, basically. So um, I looked into that. Uh, you know, Q at the time was, and it still is, very recommended. So uh, I decided to use that, and after maybe an hour or two, of converting some of my code over, we had something that um, fit that business specification. So that you had the sequential AJAX calls, and it literally like just stripped down so much code because I no longer had to manage that crazy pile of spaghetti that was going to be a nightmare for the next developer. And I remember that pretty clearly. I think one of the things that we're having a problem with, because you got it to work using pure callbacks, for the most part, except that there was a timing issue where you were having problems, the next thing would fire, and then you were having so many callbacks getting stacked up that performance was just taking a really big hit. And then using promises, that was able to throttle and guide that, and in the end, it was got everything done very performantly and very uh, uh, in a very easy-to-follow workflow as well. Yeah, and... Uh... Actually, I, I used that application's overall business logic uh, for that presentation I gave uh, 
last month or two months ago. Um, and I, I re, I tried doing the callback style again and I ended up just saying, forget it. I, <laughs> I stripped, I stripped down the callback example because it was just, again, it was so much work to get the same functionality out of the callbacks versus the promises that um, during the presentation, I even mentioned that. And it's just like, I gave up and I, I think it really sunk in with the people listening to my presentation. And uh, it just really goes to show that, you know, you don't always have to do it the old way. You know, it's, it's okay to do this research in the newer technology and try to apply it. And it worked really well. Is that presentation available online? Is that something we can link to in the show notes? I do have the slides available, and I also have the source code for the demos available. Um, that sounds they, like a great way to get started. It, it is. And uh, there's actually a, a project I have running out in Azure that gives you an API to hit against. So I'll get you the link for the presentation to put in the show notes. Perfect. Hey, you, in, in that last explanation, kept talking about callback hell. Um, and promises have been touted as this is the solution to callback hell. Now, going forward, as we're starting to work with these promises and understand them better, is there a promise hell that we're coming up against? And if there is, is there a good way to prevent it? Or is it just a really good, solid workflow? I think that that question could come up with almost any technology where you start just compounding problems because that's essentially what callback hell is. You are compounding the problem of this function calling a nested function, calling a nested function uh, and building that pyramid of doom as they call it. So really from the promise perspective, yes, you could have uh, a quote unquote promise hell. Um, but I think that the way that promises get you to work will make it so that naturally you would avoid running into that. Uh, I would say that promise hell to me, just knowing what I've worked with, uh, if you were building just, let's say, like dynamic chains of promises that then built dynamic chains of promises <laughs> and kept doing that deeper and deeper, I, I think that's one of those times where you just need to step back and say, maybe my overall thought process is flawed not necessarily the technology. So that, that kind of uh, stole my thunder for my next question, but it seems like what you're saying is this is what, what promises are good at when you have that asynchronous operation and you want to just capture that and do something, you know, when it's completed, as long as you kind of stick to that pattern, you're going to be set then, right? More or less. Uh, you can definitely expand. There's nothing wrong with building dynamic chains. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's unavoidable. And uh, back to the, the presentation example, I do build a dynamic chain in one of my samples. But the way it's done is very clear on what's happening. And it it makes sense and it works very smoothly. I think that for the most part, as long as, you know, you have that kind of foresight, promises help you get to a good destination. And then I, for my final question, you know, at the very beginning, you talked about um, the async libraries. Can you just do just a, a brief comparison 
of what that is and how it differs from the promise libraries? Yeah, so um, there is a library out there, which is kind of, when you say async libraries, is at least what I think of right away, called async.js. Mm-hmm. And to me, that library is more or less a bridge on uh, solving asynchronous problems, not necessarily, um, as promises are, a way to deal with an asynchronous workflow. So a, a good example of that is um, the async.js gives you a lot of uh, functional methods, things like map, map and reduce, um, and they let you handle those in asynchronous ways. There is an additional library out there called, uh, I believe it's async-q, um, that lets you tie in with Q to then use those asynchronous uh, methods and tie them into a promise workflow. So it's not so much that you have to use one or the other or um, you know that one can or can't solve your problems. I think that they're just two different philosophies. Async.js solving specific asynchronous problems where promises are solving um, an underlying how to do async. Okay. Well, Brandon, uh, Carl and I, I think we're both experts on promises now, thanks <laughs> to you. Um, is there uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention about promises or, or any other resources you want to point us at? Uh, I, I'll just kind of recap and say that um, you know, promises are, you know, it's a word that's tossed around and people just kind of say, oh, okay, it's, it's a new JavaScript thing. I would say, hey, check out some of the really basic tutorials, give it a go, and just see if there's any, you know, web applications that you've worked on and, you know, take small pieces of them and see how easy it is just to migrate those to promises. Okay. Um, I'll get, I do have a, a handful of links. Um, that I'll give you, uh, just good resources that I found overall. And then uh, on my presentation uh, page off my site, uh, I do have some additional resources on there. It's uh, pretty well documented. So if you need a good place to get started, that's a really good entry point. Okay, that sounds great. So if we ask you to uh, come back on the show some other time, do you promise to come back? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Um, So... uh, you know, if anybody has uh, feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, feedback at msdevshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Um, it's at msdevshow. Um, you can also just go to uh, msdevshow.com, and everything is linked right from there. That's where you can find the show notes, um, all one previous episodes, and uh, and that's where we'll have all of the links that we that we talked about in here. Um, so plugs. So you can find me. Uh, Jason, you can find me at ytechie.com. On Twitter, I'm at ytechie. Um, Carl, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer, and also I run wpdevguy.com. Excellent. What about you, Brandon? What do you have to plug? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Brandon Martinez, and my website is brandonmartinez.com. I that keep sounds, it simple. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds great. Okay, well, thanks, thank you, Brandon, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. No problem. And thank you, Carl. No problem. Okay, bye.